We are on the, we're on the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Uh, I encourage you to watch the video for 1 Corinthians last week. It will rock your world. Um, there are just, there, there's a handful of jewels in 2 Corinthians. They, they get quoted quite a bit. And so I'm just going to hit them real quick. Like You don't have to necessarily turn here or mark your Bibles because it's not the, the thrust of the message, but I just think it would be sacrilege if I did not read these on Sunday as we're going over the, the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, let's see, here's a good one. Chapter 3, verse 6. It is not the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. What he's saying is the law, religion, is, is a killer. It's mean, it's nasty, it controls and it manipulates people. But life is within the Spirit. We'll probably see some more of that later. Uh, Verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Thank you. I knew he was going to do that. You know what? It is, oh my gosh. Like, if you, if you don't come to church, and if you don't feel free, or either somebody's doing something wrong. It's either us or it's you. And my money is that it's on you. <laughs> like you should feel so free. There's something else. I'm going to hit that in a second. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And with unveiled faces, all reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed. We're being morphed. We're we're changing into something completely new. Into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. The reference he's talking about, actually Moses. Remember when Moses got his face lit up? came off the mountain and he was literally glowing and people couldn't stand to look at him, not because he was ugly, it's because they couldn't handle the light that was coming off of his face. But what we know is that the light began to fade eventually. Then people could actually talk to him because they weren't overcome by the glory that was shining on his face. Well, as Christians, it gets worse because the veil has been torn. That veil that is, that is covering the face, the veil that is separating us from the glory of God has been taken away. And if you are a child of God, this shining thing that was once outside is now inside and it reflects out and it ought to be going from glory to glory. So Jesus' main goal is that our lights shine as Moses' did with one exception, that they never fade. Yeah. Oh, I'd like to... Flesh that out someday. This one's on the cover of your bulletin, chapter 4, verse 8. We are hard-pressed on every, th- every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. I think there's a song that goes that way. How's that song go? Just like that? Yeah, see? Yes. See? I know. You can go until I find my next spot. Here we go. 
All right, though we are outwardly, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are renewed day by day. For our being, excuse me, for our light and our momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Fixing our eyes on what is unseen. And the, the best part of the whole verse is that our momentary troubles, these light afflictions that we give too much weight to, Chapter 5, verse 7, we live by faith and not by sight. 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? He is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. All things is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Told you there were some good nuggets in here. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. Verse 21. God made him who had no sin to become sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Yes. God made him who had no sin to become sin. Isn't that, I don't know, just think about that for a second. God made him who had no sin to become us, to become our sin. Uh, here's a fun one. Six, chapter 6, verse, uh, verse 14. Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. I get an amen on that one. Yeah, any missionary daters in here? Oof. That doesn't work too well. I speak from personal experience. <laughs> uh, flirt to convert. I love that. Did you guys get that? Flirt? Okay, sorry. I, I think it's funny. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? All kinds of good stuff. And then here's the one that, that, that connects to something that we read earlier. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. Like, it is okay to have godly sorrow. Okay, to, to actually feel bad about sinning. This is kind of the point of the, 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 this addressing the Corinthians. Like, they were doing bad stuff and they weren't feeling guilty about it. How's your moral compass doing? Like, can you steal and not have it affect you? Like, you just don't feel any tinge of, of remorse? He's talking about this. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Okay, here's the difference. But worldly sorrow, sorrow brings death. The difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow is that worldly sor sorrow is a constant this constant living in guilt and shame and fear, and that will kill you. But if you align yourself with godly sorrow that leads to repentance, that means you change the way that you think and act, 
Well, that's going to save you. I mean, it, it could save you from eternal separation from God, also known as hell. But it could also save you from a lot of other stuff that we deal with that we should just let go because, because we're Christians, because we're, we're people of faith and we don't have to deal with past sin because we have been forgiven and we, all we need to do is just change the way that we think. So godly sorrow is momentary. Godly sorrow that, re, that, that, that brings repentance, that leads to salvation, that, that changes our very life. We don't have to live in our past sin. How many people are still living in the sin that they committed in college? Or is it just me? You, you can change that. You're not bound to that anymore. Jesus became that sin for you. Chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. If only we could think such ways. And then in chapter 10. It says, ye shall get Pastor Joshua some orange juice. Because Pastor Joshua's mouth is drying up. Okay, who's, who's going to get me some orange juice right now? Did you know, thank you, Janie. Did you know that, well, it's how many people blew the clock today? Well, I mean, you're here, so you actually did pretty good. But it's daylight savings time. In church life, it's called Black Sunday because pe people show up an hour late. Yeah. That and the Super Bowl, those are black Sundays for us. But this is the one where we actually lose an hour of sleep. So I need, I need something in my mouth right now. And we have freshly squeezed orange juice that came from Pastor Larry's tree. Did it come from your tree this year? Yeah, oh yeah. It's all gone? Did we drink it all already? Oh yeah. See, that's what you, did you guys get orange juice? Yay. Thank you, Jesus. There's grapefruit juice left, right? Okay. All right. Now, here's the, in, in my opinion, this is the best scripture of the whole, of the whole book of Corinthians. This is, um, this is, the, this is the one that I, I think that the whole book is about. This is the hinging scripture. This is my own personal opinion. I can't figure out what the scholars think, but this is what I think, and therefore, it's more important. So, but this is, oh my gosh. Okay, just Listen. For though we live in the world, thank you, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have, thank you. The, the weapons that we fight with they're not the weapons of, the, of this world. This is chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. I'll say it again. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power. Power. 
to demolish strongholds. Yeah. What? We live by faith, not by sight. This, these struggles, these present light troubles, they're all not real. They're in a world that is unseen. So when we wage war, we do not wage war in the flesh. Some of your Bibles, instead of the world, it might say flesh. On the contrary, the weapons we fight with demolish strongholds. It goes on to say, we demolish arguments. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. <laughs> you, know what that, you know what he's saying? He's saying, okay, the, the fight that we have is, is not here in the physical, it's in the spiritual. And if you use the spiritual warfare weapons, you can destroy strongholds. Some of your Bibles say fortresses of evil. <laughs> wow. We destroy arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Uh, King James says it this way. King James says that, um, uh, that, we, uh, that we, we can fight, that we, we dismantle arguments, right? We dismantle arguments against God and every high thing that is lifted up, high pretension that is lifted up, uh, he's speaking specifically, uh, the King James actually probably does it a lot better than the NIV. The King James is saying that there are high reasonings, these lofty pretensions that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. He's talking specifically directed towards religious thinking people. Because if you remember when we were back in, uh, when we were back in, in Kings, Men thought that it was a good idea to worship God from high places, within their own thoughts. They thought that they could do a better job than in the temple. They began to develop religion in their own mind and how they wanted to do it instead of how God wanted them to do it. God wanted them to worship in the temple. And they're like, now we want to worship like the pagans on high places. It's more exciting up there. King James says that we demolish arguments. It says, it, it, it comes, I think you're, if you have, how many people have King James? I think it says, we fight imaginations. Is that what it says? Casting down, Casting down imaginations. Meaning that the things that we imagine bring life. And he goes on to say, and we hold captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Okay, this, okay you got to think about this for a second. Because this has never been said before. 
He's taking some ideas from Jesus. He's taking some ideas from Solomon. You know, as a man thinks, so he is. But he's, this is actually a brilliant thought. And nothing like this has ever been mentioned before in history. Confucius never said anything like this. Plato never said anything like this. Socrates never came close. They all understand that there's, a, there's something very important about our minds and the way that we think. Buddha figured it out too, but he was wrong. He missed this point. Oh, that we demolish strongholds by holding every thought captive yes. and making it obedient to Christ. Do you know what this means? That means that this is, this is how I try to live my life. I try to live my life in such a way that I have self-control over every stinking thought in my head. Now, that seems to be nearly impossible. This is actually advanced spirituality. Maybe you stepped across that line in the faith, you understood with some reasoning that Jesus died for the forgiveness of your sins, and you know that you're going to heaven, you have the confidence that you can, that, that maybe, like if you got hit by a Mack truck, you're going to heaven, but life still kind of stinks. You're going to get an amen on this? Like bad things still happen to good people, and you're just like, you're a miserable Christian. I'm speaking from experience here, so just... I'm not saying you're miserable. I'm just saying I used to be miserable because there was something wrong inside of my head. Because I, I just let my mind... How many people have active imaginations? How many people have active brains where you just maybe you think too much? Yeah. Here's the problem with those of you that think too much and are active and like you stay up all night thinking about stuff, dreaming things up. If you let your mind run, if you, let, if you don't have any control over your mind, imaginations will seep into your thought patterns. This is advanced stuff because the advanced, spiritually mature Christian will reasonably, will, he, will, he will capture every thought that comes into his or her head, anything that pops into your mind. You have to consciously think about it. You have to think about your thinking. That's kind of confusing, isn't it? Okay, this thing, are you, are you frustrated? Are you, are you annoyed? Do you feel like you have no victory in your life? Do you hate your spouse? Do you hate your kids? Do you hate me? Just take a few moments. I, I don't suggest you do this at work. But take a few moments and have a conversation with yourself. You see why you don't want to do this at work? You want to be talking to yourself at work. They might write you up or something. Might call some special police on you. Don't, just be careful when you have a conversation with yourself. But some of us need to have a conversation with ourselves about what we are actually thinking. You need to think about what you're thinking of. Yeah. And what are you thinking of? What is the, like if you, could, if you could actually weigh out what you think about, how many things are negative and how many things are positive? But more importantly, even the positives and the good and the, and the negatives are you making the positives and the negatives obedient to Christ? Are you capturing every thought that pops into your head? And are you discerning if it is from Jesus or not? Is it the mind of Christ? Another way to think about it is, would Jesus think this way that I am thinking? Remember the what would Jesus do bracelets? I think they're probably a good thing. We should probably bring them back. I'm going to bring back the what would Jesus do bracelet. But I think maybe we should change it a little bit. We just call it, what would Jesus think bracelet? Yeah. 
Because we have to begin to have the mind of Christ. Why? To destroy strongholds. To destroy every lofty thing that arrogantly boasts, that mocks, that goes against the knowledge and wisdom and goodness and character of God. Our thinking can actually challenge the character of God, and we don't even realize it when it's happening. We are not conscious that our thinking patterns are offending a holy God. We just think that that's just the way that we are. This is brilliant stuff. It really is. It is advanced spirituality. Now, I know that, you know, positive thought therapies, you know, it's, 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 you know, scientists have proved the Bible once again that, that, that what you think about, you, in essence, you become, right? You begin to initially live out. If you visually see yourself as a positive person, eventually you will become a positive person. If you take the, act, if you take the thoughts and you make them into actions, you will become what you think about. It's amazing. And then again, like psychologists are reading the Bible and they're figuring this stuff out. We should probably do this stuff. Solomon was right. You become what you think about. As a man thinks, so he is. Meditate on chapter 10, verse 3 through 5. Meditate on this one because it's brilliant, folks. It is absolutely brilliant. It is an original thought. Isn't that so cool that even after Jesus, Paul creates an original thought, an idea that has never been created for. It's absolutely brilliant. Brilliant thinking. How many people have ever had a brilliant thought in your life? Maybe one or two. Yeah, I have a couple of brilliant thinkers here. No, you see, God wants us to think in these ways. We are created in his image. God is brilliant. He comes up with great ideas, brilliant ideas. And he wants us to begin to think in these ways, to, to, to come up with stuff. Unfortunately, we, were, we don't have the, the opportunity to do what Paul did. Like this brilliant thought actually made it into Holy Scripture. It's canon. Like Jesus is like, wow, Paul is listening to me. Paul, thank you for listening to me. I'm going to write this down. We're going to call it chapter 3, verse, excuse me, chapter 10, verse 3 through 5. They didn't have chapters and verses back then, by the way. So, no, it's not. I mean, we, we confuse, confuse things because we're trying to understand everything, so we put numbers on things. God wants us to have brilliant thoughts. Because of Imago Dei, we are made in his image, we get, he's a creator. He wants us to create, like he does, original thoughts, original ideas, making things that don't exist. We, we can create. Every, I don't care if you're not a creative. I'm not an artist, but I create stuff all the time. Most of the things that I create are major messes that my wife has to clean up, right? I can create some amazing things with the words of my mouth. Gets me in all kinds of trouble. Gets me on the couch. Yep. 
So we have the power to create things that are good and things that are bad. Uh -huh. Just be careful what you create, what you birth into existence. Wow. Now, again, this is brilliant stuff. This is original thinking. I don't, maybe it's me, but this blows me away. This is like, wow, capture every thought, everything that pops into my mind, develop a spiritual discipline where I'm like thinking about what I'm thinking, and then I move it into Jesus. You move your thoughts into Jesus? It's huge. No one's ever said this before. You want to know what makes it really brilliant, though? Like all those nuggets that we read, that, that we quote, that we make songs out of. Those gems that we memorize. You want to know what makes every single one of those brilliant? Is that they were all conceived in pain. So much heartache. So much betrayal. I mean... Like, when Paul came up with this brilliant idea, he had knives sticking out of his back from his brothers that had betrayed him. When was the last time you had a brilliant idea? It was probably birthed out of you being in a good place. When was the last time you were able to birth a good idea from a bad place? That's where God wants us. Now, see, Paul wasn't like sitting around studying the ancients. No, he was in the midst of pain and betrayal and heartache, maybe a little insecurity, definitely a lot of frustration. And he comes up with this idea. You hold every thought captive and you make it obedient to Christ. It's huge. Like God wants us to have our biggest ideas, our biggest breakthroughs, when we are down in the dumps. Like, that actually might be an opportunity for you. Like, things are really bad right now. Maybe they, they're hard. You're broke. Everybody hates you. You're, you're, you're having relationship issues. Whatever it may be, do you realize that this is an opportunity for you to have a brilliant thought like this, like Paul does? Look, the, the context of this brilliance is inside of an issue with a group of people called the Corinthians. Preachers love to talk about the Corinthians because they are a lot like us. If you have some church grid, if, you, if you've been around long enough, you've heard messages on the Corinthians because they were highly sexualized. They were extremely materialistic. They, they got drawn to entertainment. They wanted to constantly be stimulated. Everybody goes to Corinth to make it, to make something of their lives, to strike it rich. It's Southern California. It's like all, of, I'm going to be nice to people now, I'm really trying, but since I'm going to be nice, it's like all the worst things about Orange County and all the worst things about Los Angeles and everything about Las Vegas there's nothing good in Las Vegas. Sorry. There is. There's some good churches in Las Vegas, actually. It's like all of those things that make us Southern California. So well, let's just throw in the bad parts of San Francisco, too. 
everything that is negative is, is, is crammed into this double seaport of Corinth. And they were all about the money. They were all about the instant gratification. And they were all about being entertained. They were all about materialism. They didn't necessarily even care about culture. They bought reproductions. They bought fake antiques because they liked the way that it looked. They didn't care about the, 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 you know, the, the, where it came from. They didn't care about the history of anything. Does that make sense? They had velvet Jesuses on their walls at home. <laughs> or dogs smoking cigars. A bunch of tacky Philistines. Even, the, even their architecture. There's three different types of columns. There's the Doric column. There's the Ionic column. Uh, I think the, the, the Doric column is the one that's a very simple column, right? And then the Ionic column has one little squirrel at the, a scroll at the top. But the Corinthian column has all kinds of leaves and ornamentation. It's all flamboyant. It's all over the top. It's extremely gaudy, and it serves no purpose. It's material fluff. And this, it actually symbolizes the culture of these people. They are us. And so when Paul is addressing, if you are here last week, he's actually addressing issues of a highly sexualized culture that has, has they've understood grace and they've taken the, the grace to extreme and they think that it's completely okay for the Christian church to just to sleep around with everybody. In fact, you can sleep with your mother-in-law if you wanted to. That was a real thing that he was addressing. I mean, we thought we have issues in our culture. They dealt with the same stuff 2,000 years ago. And it was happening inside of the church. And so he's like, what are you guys doing? I mean, this is a church. The reason why this is so hard for Paul is because he planted the church, right? This is his baby. Like, he was the church planter. He started this community. He's the one that seeded it. I believe he spent 18 months, over a year, in this city, pouring his life into these people. And guess what? They didn't pay him. That would be like me going into Orange County, which at one time it had the highest uh, uh, income per capita than most nations in the world. Like, Orange County could be its own country, and it was, like, rated number 10 in all the world. It was craziness. They had, at one time, they had so much money, they didn't know what to do with it. But so how would it be, like, if I went into Newport Beach, and I'm going, and there's a bunch of pagans there. It's true. There's a bunch of pagans in Newport. None of them are saved. None of them are nearly as spiritual as we are. Wow. And we're going to go plant a church in Newport Beach, and I'm going to do it for free. I'm not going to take tithes and offerings. In fact, I'm going to require that Granite Creek fund me while I go minister to rich people. How would that make you feel? That's exactly what's going on. Everything that Paul pours out into this rich community, they didn't pay him a dime. And when he's writing these brilliant words, again, it's coming from a place of pain because they are actually questioning Paul's authority as being an apostle. They're questioning his spiritual credentials. They have all of these super apostles that are all around, and they are paying them. Why? 
because they're professional orators, because there's an entertainment factor in the quality of sermons that they're getting. So the different, look, this is really, this is going to be difficult for us as a Christian community, as a Christian, uh, unfortunately we, and I I don't know, it's kind of, it's give or take, but we have developed a Christian culture. I'm not saying we developed a Jesus culture. We've developed a Christian culture, and it's, either, it's both good and bad in that this is, we, are, we are called to change and transform our culture that's around us. Uh, the, 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 the interesting phenomenon that takes place is that we develop a culture around Christianity that the music sounds a certain way and people dress a certain way, and if you don't dress a certain way, act a certain way, um, wear skinny jeans then you're not a real Christian, that you don't fit into the culture. Does that, does that make sense? I, I love the fact that the gospel of Jesus Christ is that advanced so much that we can make, that we have a powerful influence on our surrounding cultures, meaning that we can rent the citizens' arena and put on a Christian concert. That's good. That is good, and we should say yes and amen to that. What's the danger? The danger is that we say that that is, that's gospel, and that is where true encounter happens. And what Paul is saying is, no, you guys are not, you guys are, you're not seeing the forest through the trees. You cannot pay for God's encounter. You can't get it in a light show. You can't get emotionally worked up into this thing. He has to defend himself against super apostles. Paul says, he's an average guy. He's short. He's got big bushy eyebrows, big giant nose. It says that he's not even a very good speaker. He's a decent writer. But here's probably the reality of it. If Paul was here, if he became a guest speaker at our church... We probably wouldn't like it. I I bet I could preach better than Paul. I'm not saying that flippantly. I'm probably a better communicator than Paul. But you see, it's not the delivery. It's his substance. Because the super apostles were coming in. And they had their big flowing white robes. And what they were teaching, I think that there was a mix. Like they couldn't just handle one group of people. So they had the Judaizers, which were saying things like, you know what, if you, you guys need to become good Jews, you believe in Jesus, that's great. But now let's get back into the law. And that's why Paul says the letter kills, but the spirit is life, right? Because what he's addressing specifically is the spiritual, religious, demonic spirit that's coming in and controlling people with rules, making them do things, manipulating people, and that is the Judaizers. But I believe that there was another group of people that came in that were wearing the the flowing white robes or the Armani suits or what have you, and they were probably the Gnostic preachers. And so they just couldn't, like, they liked their Judaizers. That's good for this week. But the new hot thing are these Gnostic preachers that are preaching things that are very interesting. Like everything that, mater- everything that is material is evil and everything that is spiritual is good. 
And therefore, Jesus must have been a ghost. Because if he was good, there's no way that he could have actually a physical body because material things are evil. So I believe that there were two types of, of super apostles that were coming in and that they were influencing an already tainted people, right? Because they are already tainted by their material culture. They are already highly, tainted by this highly sexualized culture. Like they were warped and twisted and they're like, yeah, give us something new. Judaizers are really cool, let's do that. Yeah, give us something new. This is like this Gnostic stuff is really cool. These Gnostic preachers, by the way, are the same guys like 200 years later that would write the Gospel of Thomas and the Gospel of Mary that they found, you know, they found a couple years ago and like, oh, there we go. Gospels are all false. They're, all, they're old. They're, they're written hundreds of years later after Jesus was around. And, it was, and Paul was addressing this right here. And I believe that there was even a combination, a hybrid of Gnostic and Judaizers, preachers that were all together. And that's actually probably where we get this idea of uh, Jewish Kabbalah. Now, you see, if Paul was here, we probably wouldn't be entertained by him. Like, you guys would all be falling asleep by now if Paul was up here ranting on. And we'd be like, Paul, please get to the point. Like, you're being redundant beyond redundance. This is the Department of Redundancy Department. Redundancy. This, you're driving us nuts. Get to the point, Paul. We wouldn't like it. But Paul would be coming to this church. I believe with all my heart, like this is the type of church that Paul would hang out with. Because our mission is we are after relationship and not religion. Yes. You know where Paul would not go? And I don't necessarily have an issue with these types of people. I think they're great. I love them. But he would not be going to the Messianic Jewish churches. Those are the churches that say, you know what, we love Jesus. He is our Messiah, but we're going to live our life out in the old Jewish way. He would not be going to that, those churches. He goes on to say, Oh, man, i got to wrap this up. Remember the whole thorn in the flesh thing? Yeah. That's why he wouldn't come here. He actually broke from his religion, his traditions. I believe his thorn in his flesh was that his wife left him. Because in order for you to be a rabbi, in order for you to be a teacher, you were married. Everybody was married, by the way. If you weren't married, you were a prostitute. Pretty much that was the extent of it. Male and female. So everybody was married except for Paul. So I think that this was his thorn in his flesh. Like he lost his culture for Jesus. He would not feel comfortable in a messianic church. You read his writings. I mean, he is... He is a Hebrew of Hebrews, right? In reference to the law, flawless. He was the model Jewish rabbi. But when you read his writings, he separated himself from his identity and his culture because he was so in love with Jesus. And can you imagine the heartache of your wife leaving you for your convictions for Jesus? That's what probably happened. It's speculative. We don't know for sure. But I think that that's what it is. It's either that or he had malaria. Actually, this dude is tough, man. Like, this guy is nails. Yeah. <laughs> he goes, you know, and when he's comparing himself to the super apostles, he's like, yeah, were they, were they beaten? He says, 
Were, were they beaten? Were they whipped 40 times less one? That happened to me five times. Like, remember what happened to Jesus? He got, he got whipped 39 times. That happened to Paul five times. Like, this dude was tough. He was stoned. He was beaten. I don't think that his thorn in the flesh would have been malaria or puffy eyes or something like that. No, I think his thorn in the flesh would have been actually the heartbreak of a loss of a relationship. I think that's what it is. We don't know for sure because he doesn't tell us. All right. Super apostles, the guys in white flowing robes and Armani suits, the guys that we pay lots of money to preach sermons. Right? Yeah. You know who was financing Paul in Newport Beach? It was the Macedonians. It was the blue-collar farmers in northern Greece that were actually financing the mission trip to the rich folks. (laughs) Could you imagine if he hadn't done it? I can't figure out why Paul loves these people. I want to encourage you to read the rest of the book. It won't take you that long. But Paul, there's one thing that's clear. He loves these knuckleheads. I don't think I could do it because I know how I feel about Orange County. I just don't think I could do it. I could do it. Thank you, John. Do you see what I'm saying, though? All right. When, here's, a, here's a sign of a super apostle. Whether it takes the form of Christian um, culture or whether it takes the form of New Age expression or some of the fancy thought, or whether it takes the form of secular humanism that, that, that promotes positive thought therapy. All right. Usually, super apostles, they are going to brag about their experiences. They are going to boast. They're going to talk about their, their spiritual conquests. Remember what it was like when you were in high school, guys, that you were in the locker room? And what do you guys talk about in the high school locker room? They talk about their sexual conquests because they're building themselves up. And that's what super apostles do. They tell you all the lurid details of their intimate, their so-called intimacies with the Lord. And Paul is actually forced to defend his authority as an apostle. And this is what he says. Chapter 12. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Uh, Probably the second heaven is the atmosphere. Third heaven is this mind-blowing spiritual heaven, like the real deal. He's caught up into the third heaven, whether he was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. And I know this. That this man, whether is in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows. And he was caught up into paradise, and he heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. And I will boast about a man like that, and I will not boast about myself except for my weakness. For when I am weak, he is strong. So Paul is forced, these stupid idiotic super apostles that everybody's attracted to because they, they can say fancy words and they wear fancy robes and they can wow and you know, they can razzle-dazzle the audience. Hmm? See, Paul could be saying things like, I was knocked off my horse by the very beam of God on the way to Damascus. He doesn't tell them that. 
He could say, you know, when I was on this shipwreck and I, I got bit by snakes and I shook those snakes off. He doesn't tell him that. He doesn't say, I went into this community and I healed every single sick person that was there through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, Jesus working through me, flowing through me. I performed all these miracles. He doesn't do that. He tells them about how, <laughs> he tells them about something that he can't prove. Because he was forced to. And I don't think that he really necessarily wanted to do it. But he... You know, he says, I knew a man that was caught up under the third heaven. He's, he's the man. This is some rhetorical device that he's using to make his point. It's him. Paul's the one that was caught up under the third heaven. He had this experience. If I get the band, could come on up to the front. And the ushers, too. I need the ushers this time. As they're on their way up. Holding every thought captive, advanced spirituality, destroying strongholds. All of this stuff happens within the mind. It's not complicated deliverance ministry stuff. No, this is the way that you think. This is thinking about your thinking. This is about being aware of what you're attracted to. And you have to be honest with yourself why am I attracted to this? Why does this have so much pull on my soul? Why, Lord? Is there some pride in me that likes it? Is there something in me that would rather be entertained than to deal with the deep issues of my character? Does that make sense? This is our homework. This is the take-home. Think about what you're thinking. Like right when you leave, Examine every thought. Hold every thought captive. Make everything that pops into your mind obedient to Christ. Then the believer that has been saved their entire lives and still lives in a state of mundane boredom, they will be transformed too. Would you stand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, I thank you so much that you are living, that you are breathing that you work on us, that you give us brilliant thoughts. And so God, right now, I pray that you just give us the courage sometimes just to have a conversation with ourselves, to think about what we're thinking about. And then we will cast down every imagination. When things pop into our heads, we won't, we won't birth something with an imagination. We won't play out the, the drama in our head about how bad things can can happen to those that we don't like. But God, I pray that you will just lead us into repentance, which is a different way of thinking. I pray that you give us the mind of Christ. Teach us this one thing this week, to hold every thought captive. And we pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.